Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. This series of messages that we've been doing looks at the gospel according to Mark and focuses on the servanthood of Jesus Christ. Uh, while servanthood really is a role of humility and it requires meekness, in the kingdom of God, it's also one that carries great authority with it. If you remember, if you've been listening to our messages up to this point, the key portion of scripture uh, that we've been looking at is Mark 10 verses 42 to 45. And uh, this really contains the, the, encapsulates the main thought or main idea in Mark's gospel as it relates to servanthood. Jesus tells the disciples that the pathway in the kingdom is not greatness as the world views it, but greatness is found in servanthood. Mark 10, 42 to 45 says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this idea of servanthood as humble, humility, and meekness, it's correct, and those, those descriptions Scriptures, those ideas should be married together with the idea of servanthood. However, servanthood in the kingdom should also be married to the idea of authority and power. And this is difficult for us because authority and power are things we tend to put at one end of the spectrum and servanthood at the other end. And yet, in the kingdom of God, they're joined together that somehow we gain authority by serving. Somehow we acquire greatness through our servanthood. So I want to invite you to join with me in prayer as we look again at the gospel according to Mark. And we look back at Mark uh, chapter 4 and we'll be reading starting at verse 35. And uh, so let's go to prayer and just invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher during this lesson. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that you are our teacher uh, Lord, I thank you that you've given me words to speak. You've given me some thoughts and inspired uh, my, uh, my thinking around these portions of Scripture. But more than that, you have divine insight for those who are listening to this message. You have uh, clarity for each individual who uh, is watching this or listening to this. And you have ways that you want to apply the Scripture to their life at this very moment. And so I thank you that your word is inspired, that it is uh, a way that we can understand uh, the Father God's heart and mind concerning things in our life, and it can lead us in a pathway forward to Christ-likeness. So we thank you for your word. We bless it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to look specifically at two accounts of Jesus's interactions in relationship to authority, his authority over circumstances as we look at his interaction with wind and the waves, and we're going to look at his authority over spiritual darkness. But really at this point in Mark chapter 4, this point of Mark's rec uh, recording of Jesus's life, 
it really starts picking up a, a, a fast clip. Uh, it really starts uh, moving along as we see one event after another that shows Jesus the servant moving in authority. For example, I won't hit all of these in this message. In fact, I would encourage you to pick up the week five study guide for uh, the servant's authority and understanding more about this particular topic uh, it goes much deeper in our study guide. You can find that at our website, nhgj.org, or you can come by our offices during the week and pick one of those up, or if you're here on a weekend service, we also have those available for you. It'll go much more in depth into these specific areas, but I just want to list them for you here, and they'll be on the screen for you to follow along, uh, just as a point of reference, so you can see how quickly Mark gets into Jesus's authority and how he demonstrates how Jesus is on the move. Uh, Mark 4, 35 to 41, uh, we'll talk about this one, but it's Jesus's authority over wind and waves and destructive circumstances in our life. Uh, Mark 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 34, Jesus has authority over the kingdom of darkness, demons, and sickness. Uh, again, we'll go more in depth into that during this message. But then beyond that, Mark 5, 35 to 42, Jesus has authority over death and things that seem to have gone uh, too far, that it's too far past and only death remains. Jesus can bring resurrection and hope to lifeless circumstances. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, Jesus has authority over inadequacies, and this relates to the disciples. Jesus commissions them, and when uh, they run up against this uh, 5,000 people who are hungry, Jesus challenges them to feed the 5,000. And we see this inadequacy that the disciples feel, and yet Jesus has authority over the shortages in our own lives as well. Well, there's so much to go deeper into and in seeing how Jesus is overcome. And again, I encourage you to go into our week five study guide to look deeper at each of these. But I specifically want to go back to those first two accounts and uh, address these issues where Jesus had authority. And then I want to spend the last part of this message looking at sources of power, sources of our authority, because the same way that Jesus ministers in authority, it comes to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has given, given each of us authority as well. And we need to understand where our authority comes from and how to exercise it. So look with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Uh, and we're going to look at Jesus's authority over the destructive storms of life. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. This is one of those records of Jesus's authority that 
many are familiar with. We talk often in the church about the wind and wave, uh, obeying the voice of Jesus, and this is where that uh, idea comes from. The circumstances of this recording of what we see here is that there arose a great storm, and the word great storm references something of hurricane force, something that is just furious, raging out of control. This isn't just a few raindrops. This isn't a strong wind. This is a raging storm that has come upon the disciples and and their, their boat. And that's raging out of control, potential for great destruction and great damage. The boat itself was sinking. Water was starting to come in. And there was real fear that they had that they were going to be capsized or that they were going to sink out there. Remember, this is at the night as the day had gone on and Jesus pushes out. And so Jesus is asleep at the front of the boat as the night has come. Again, another picture, not only of the storm, but of confusion and darkness that has come, in, come over them. And right at this worst part where the, it just seems that all is going to be lost and the disciples are distraught, we see a Jesus asleep at total rest. And it communicates, it plants within us our, our thinking that Jesus doesn't care. In fact, that's what the disciples thought as well. Jesus, don't you care? Doesn't it matter to you that we're about to die? We're about to perish here? He was asleep in the boat. Don't you care that we're about to drown? The reality is Jesus does care. (laughs) This isn't a picture of Jesus' neglect or his absence or or, uh, lack of love for the disciples, nor is it a point where we should take it to communicate to us that he doesn't care. Instead, it's intended to demonstrate that he has true authority. Do you understand that? Do do I understand that fully, that God doesn't fear and become worrisome in the same way that I might or that you might? Why? Because he has authority. The reason that Jesus isn't feeling the same way that the disciples are is because His authority allows him to be at complete peace, knowing what he's capable of, knowing that the wind and the waves aren't going to determine his future, but his heavenly father holds his life. That his life is not going to be snatched away from him, but he has a destiny and a purpose, and he will one day offer his life, but in this moment, with the wind and the wave, his life isn't going to be pulled away from him. Well, this passage says that Jesus got up. He was uh, awoken from this moment and he got up. This, this idea behind it, uh, this word means that he was aroused. He stirred himself up into action. And this is such a good point to us because when God is going to do something, do you know that many of us, myself, I find myself sometimes somewhat passive about the storms that are taking place in my life. And that comes because I recognize God has authority, but sometimes I don't think that it requires anything of me. And so I continue to slumber in the boat. I continue just to go on as though life will just work itself out. It's almost this fatalism or this idea that that whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen and God's in control, so it doesn't really require anything of me. Have you ever been in that type of place? Have you ever, had those types of thoughts. 
That's not Jesus's response. Let me be clear here. Jesus stirred himself to address the wind and the wave. Jesus became ready to go to work against the wind and the waves that was stirring up and wreaking havoc for the disciples and for this journey across the, the sea. Sometimes we as followers of Jesus are too nonchalant about what's happening in the world around us against Satan's schemes to cause fear and division, against Satan's schemes to, to cause what God wants to happen, disruption and, and uh, despair among his people. And like Jesus, we need to arise, we need to stir ourselves up and rebuke the things that are happening around us in the conditions of the world around us, whether that's wind and wave or whether that's civil unrest that's taking place, whether that's fear that's rising up within us, whether that's racism or bias and prejudice that exists within our culture. It's not just a social concern. It's not just conditions around us. These are things that, like Jesus, we have authority to be able to speak to them Peace, be still, and begin to see the kingdom of God at work to silence the wind and the wave. Jesus' instructions really were just to muzzle, muzzle the storm that had come up. He put Satan and these circumstances in their place. The wind ceased and there was great calm. There was the absence of this agitation and the waters disrupting what was going on and all at once the disciples just marveled that their master had spoken to even the wind and the wave and they obeyed his voice as well. I think it's really powerful to see Jesus's authority, the servant's authority in the circumstances, the dire circumstances around him because that speaks to us as well that there's real authority as we serve in the kingdom to speak to the circumstances around us, not just for healing, not just for demoniacs, which we'll get to in just a moment, but to circumstances that exist in the surroundings and in the environment around us. The second account I want us to look at comes right on the heels of this first. Look at me with, at, uh, with me at Mark uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and we'll see that Jesus, the servant, has authority over the kingdom of darkness. It says, they came to the other side of the sea. So this is after the tumultuous uh, journey through wind and wave. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out on the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. 
So I gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told, uh, told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was, what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. What an incredible story is you just have that picture in your mind about this man terrorized by these demons. This man comes to Jesus just as Jesus hits the shore. If the night wasn't enough in this difficult storm that was just weathered, he gets to the other side and this demon-possessed man comes and meets Jesus on the shore. This man was living in the tombs. Spiritual bondage isolates him, and he's living alone in these tombs and cannot be restrained. It's such a powerful picture of what happens with sin in our life, and when Satan enters in and tries to terrorize us, he always isolates us, always puts us alone. And so that's this picture of this man, spiritual bondage, isolated and alone with Satan such a powerful thing for us to keep in mind. Sin always seems engaging. It always seems tantalizing that it's going to satisfy us in some ways, but it's always destruction and it's always the place where death leads us. How fitting it was that a man who is demonized is among the tombs away from everybody else. He had thrown off every restraint that was ever put on him and he, he broke away the chains. Nobody could subdue him, it says. He was just out of control, thrashing. And that's the idea of spiritual bondage. Instead of being able to restrain ourselves, it always puts us in more bondage and puts more restraints on us. His torment and his agony was unrelenting, so much so that he's cutting himself. He's just trying to find escape for his life. I'm sure in many ways, just trying to even end his life just to end the torment that he's feeling. He cuts himself with stones. And that's what we see with spiritual bondage. It's self-inflicting oftentimes with pain, trying to self-soothe in ways that cause more pain and more agony. This is the picture of someone so enwrapped, enveloped in sin, and, and the pain that Satan brings to their life that there's no escape. And here's Jesus, steps off of the boat, and he's coming with real authority to set the captive free, to set this man free from the bondages that he had experienced and the torment. Jesus had this authority to come and not try to control in him and subdue him, not to put him in more chains, but to set him free from these demons. Jesus' words to the spirits, come out of him, you evil spirit. Come out of this man, you spirit, you unclean spirit. The response that he gets back when he says, who are you? What is your name? The response from the demons is, we are legion. We are many. The numbers, when we think about a legion, historical records indicate that it's somewhere between four to 6,000, most often referring to 5,000 or more, closer to 6,000 men within a legion. The reference here, at the very minimum, we just know thousands of demons were were inside of this man. Thousands of demons had occupied this man's life and he was being terrorized. 
But these thousands of demons were powerless against the one man, Jesus, with the authority of God coming against them, speaking to them, so much so that they begged for him not to drive them out into the wilderness. So they begged for him to put them into the pigs. And it says about 2,000 pigs were over there and Jesus drove the demons out of the man into the pigs and they ran off the hillside and into the sea, into the water, setting this man free by just the spoken word, not by using physical restraint, not by having to, to go through great exercise and, and uh, uh, demonstrations of, of who he was and explaining to them who he was. No, just by simply saying, come out of this man, you evil spirit, you unclean spirit, and this man was delivered. Such a demonstration of the servant of God coming not to overpower this man, not to control his life, but just the opposite, to set him free by simply proclaiming the authority of God and that the kingdom of God had come over the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of light had come to this man. Well, out of these two examples of Jesus's life and his authority, I mentioned there's more and I encourage you to continue through in the study guide, look at these other examples of how Jesus's authority set people free over sin and sickness, over death, uh, over lack or want, Jesus had sufficiency. But I, I wanna transition us to this understanding of types of authority that are present and how we need to grow in our understanding of these areas of authority. So there's four types of authority and when it, we need to exercise it. The first one that I want to highlight is positional authority. Positional authority comes to us from roles and titles and it's, it's either roles and titles that we have acquired by a position that we're in or it's a title that somebody speaks over us or looks to us uh, that we have. In ministry, I'm familiar with the title of pastor. Uh, you know, sometimes people refer to me as reverend. Uh, I've actually had somebody call me father one time because their background was within uh, Roman Catholicism. And so these are titles that people see you, they're roles that people see you in because of your position. Uh, sometimes I refer to this, or it's, this is known as platform authority. It's because of where you're at, what your responsibilities are, that people ascribe to you authority or you have authority because of that role. But while this is a form of authority, I, I wanna highlight that it's actually one of the weakest forms of authority. It's one of the weakest because it's conditional on those who see you in that light. It's conditional because that type of authority, just as quickly as you can acquire it, you can lose it. It can be removed from you. And so we tend not to, and Jesus tended not to, lean into positional authority as the basis for which he ministered in people's lives and that he led in the kingdom of God. He didn't use position. He was the son of God, but if you go through the gospels, how often did Jesus tell people, hey, I'm the son of God, you need to recognize my authority? He never did. In fact, he left it up to individuals to acknowledge him in that role and then he affirmed it. In, in the case of the demons, they would often come to him and pronounce, you are the son of God and he would silence them because he didn't want his authority to be acknowledged by the demons. He wanted it to be recognized by other people, but he never 
told other people that they had to recognize him in that role. He, ex he affirmed it when others saw it, but he did not mandate that they affirm that within himself. So we want to recognize that we have positional authority. We're sons and daughters in God. We are forgiven. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. These are all positions that we have because of our walk with Jesus Christ. And so we need to know that. We need that confidence of that's who we are because of our position in Christ. But we don't have to tell other people's that, people that and convince them of that because of our position. We simply walk in that authority, that positional authority we have in Christ. The second type of authority is personal authority. This is authority that comes because I influence other people because of who I am. Uh, this is my intellect, my personality, my experiences. This gives me the ability to speak into situations out of the person of who I am and what I've experienced and, and what I know. This is real authority and it's part of who we are. But again, I want to encourage us as followers of Jesus to be cautious about exercising our personal authority and encouraging others to follow us just because of our own experiences or our own knowledge. In fact, this can come off kind of shallow, can't it, when somebody comes up to us and says, do you know what I've done? You should follow me because of my experience. Or do you know what I know? <laughs> my experience is such, my knowledge is such that you should follow me because of what I know. It really comes off kind of arrogant, doesn't it? It doesn't really model that of a servant, a humble servant. So this is personal authority is real. We have our experiences. We have our knowledge. We have the person that we are, and we lead out of that, and we have authority because of that. But again, this is something for others to recognize. You remember when Jesus was teaching in the temple, what the people said about him said, what a teacher he is. These lessons, they're unlike anything we've heard. He teaches as one with authority. So they recognized within him the authority that he had through his teaching and through his knowledge and through his own experiences. And so we do the same. We have this personal authority, and it is real authority. But this is the type of authority that others recognize in us as we live it out and demonstrate it. We don't have to convince others that we have this type of authority. People will just see it within us. So what are the most powerful types of authority? It's really these last two, relational authority. This is what you have because people give you a place in their life to speak into their life because they know that you love them and that you care about them. It's not based on your expertise or your position, but it's based on your love of others and they recognize that you care for them and so they invite you to speak into their life. Jesus often offered this type of authority or exercised this type of authority. He talked about this and asked us to respond to him out of love. In fact, he says it this way, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Do you catch how he's using his authority? It's relational. I know you love me. I know that we've telling the disciples, I know you've walked with me and you would call me master and teacher. And then he says, out of that love that you have for me, I ask you to follow through as my disciples and obey my commands. He's pulling on that 
relational authority that he has because he's invested his life. The disciples looking at him know who he is, know that he has position, know that he has experience and and the, the wisdom to be able to teach, but they also know that he loves them and he is laying down his life for them. And in response, he's asking, he's calling upon that authority and saying, because you love me, follow me and obey my commands. This is one of the best types of authority for us to build, but it takes time. It takes trust. It really takes loving other people to build that type of authority that then we can speak into their life and we can demonstrate the kingdom as servants. The way it comes about is because they know that we're not going to be overbearing, as Jesus said, and dominate over them. Instead, we're going to come underneath and serve and love and care about them. Relational authority. The last one, and this should be clear out of the examples and the the records that I gave of Jesus' life, is spiritual authority. Jesus spent most of his time recognizing this type of authority. While he administered and and, uh, functioned out of relational authority with the disciples and others that he came across, he often talked about spiritual authority. He demonstrated spiritual authority, and he acknowledged where it came from. He said, the things that I do, the acts that you see, the the demonstrations of the power of God, they come from the Father. And so Jesus often operated in this spiritual authority. There's a caution here, especially for us in our Western world. Sometimes people replace spiritual authority with moral authority. These are two different things. Spiritual authority says, I have something from the kingdom, from the Father God, to impart to you, and it's genuine, and it, la- and it has real power behind it. More th- moral authority says, because I know the rules, and because I have the right information about God, I have authority. I can tell you how you should live, because I have this moral authority and my understanding about who God is. These are different things. Spiritual authority is because I live as one with power from God. Moral authority says I live as one with authority because I know things about God. I want you to hear that difference because true transformational power and authority that comes from God, the spiritual authority that comes from God with power is backed up with these demonstrations of God's power. Spiritual authority is because I live as one with power from God that transforms my life and the life of those around me. People recognize that authority and I speak to circumstances and they align with the kingdom of God. I don't have to tell you that I have spiritual authority. I demonstrate it with my life and you can see it clearly. So these are important distinctions. I think within, oftentimes within the church, we have a lot of people who might be telling others that they have authority. Whereas in Jesus's life, he simply demonstrates it. And everybody tells Jesus that they see the authority of God within him. Important distinction that we want to make sure we understand and we live out. It allows Jesus to be the humble servant. I don't have to tell you who I am and my place in your life. You can see it and you invite me to have this type of authority in your life and in the lives of those around me because you would see the demonstration of God's power and authority in my life. You would see the relational love that I have for others and you would recognize the personal authority and the 
the, the uh, positional authority because these other things are true. Well, let me wrap up just by simply encouraging you to take time to survey in your life. Look at these four areas of authority and the way that they come to us and say, God, what type of authority am I exercising? How about in my family? With my children, am I telling them that they need to respect me just because of my relationship as their parent? While that may be true and that position should invoke some measure of authority, that really shouldn't be the basis for what you operate in your children's lives. How about in your marriage? Who wears the pants in this household? <laughs> That's not the type of authority that demonstrates the type of power and authority that Jesus demonstrated. That's a weak form of authority. Instead, look at your relationships. I encourage you. How am I functioning with the people in my life? How am I relating to the people that God has brought within my life? How do I connect with others? What do I put forward for them to know me and to relate to me? I think it's a powerful uh, exercise for us to take on this week as we think about Jesus the servant and his authority in our life. Let me pray for us as we finish and may we be ones who, who understand our authority roles but primarily function out of that relational authority and that spiritual authority that comes from God himself. Lord, we thank you for demonstrating to us the way to uh, exercise authority. Lord, we thank you that you were humble and you showed great restraint in your positional power and authority. It means so much that you came and didn't demand that people bow at your feet because you are the son of God, but instead you understood who you were and that gave you great confidence then that even when people came against you or didn't recognize your positional authority, you were still able to love them and you were still able to minister with great power simply because you knew who you were, but you didn't have to push that out and have other people see you through that lens in order to be loving and in order to serve them. Lord, we thank you for the model of living your life with great knowledge and understanding of scriptures and, and your own experiences. Thank you that in your person that you had the ability to lead others, but you allowed them to recognize that and affirm that and to follow you as a person because they recognized that you really had understanding unlike any others, that you taught the scriptures with such authority because you knew the Father. Thank you for modeling that for us. Lord, thank you for leading and, and showing relational authority in ways that broke down walls and divisions. Lord, and, and caused us and, and still to this day leads us to the point where we say, Lord, we will follow you anywhere and do anything you say because of who you are in our life. You still have that relational authority to us and we thank you for it, Lord. And lastly, as we think about this real spiritual authority, this power that you ministered in and you continue now through the Holy Spirit's work in us ministering with power and authority, Lord, may we not shy away from it, but may we go deeper in this. May we find ourselves living more and more out of spiritual authority and less on these other, other forms and these other ways of, of exercising authority to those around us. Help us, Lord, in our families. Help us in our work relationships. Help us in our friendships to understand how to function as servants with great 
power and authority because of the way that you did it. God bless each one who's hearing this today. May you affirm them in your word and may you guide and lead them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. May the Lord watch over you as you minister in his authority. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.